Good morning. I'm so glad that you have joined us here for worship. It's truly good to see you, whether you're a first-time guest or new members alike. We are thankful that you are here for worship. Uh, just for sake of summary, we are in the middle uh, of a four-week sermon series talking about the kingdom of God. We began uh, three weeks ago by looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, with a very familiar section of Scripture uh, that is called the Lord's Prayer. And in that particular prayer, in that section there in Matthew 6, we, we encountered a very dynamic, uh, moving phrase that Jesus prays. And he says, for the kingdom of God to come and God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I think specifically as we explore that kingdom of God, we understand, or at least we're understanding through this series, that the kingdom of God involves a people, a place, and a purpose. Last week, excuse me, two weeks ago, we talked about, no, last week we talked about the people, and this week we're talking about the place. Next week we'll combine the two and talk about the purpose. But just for sake of our understanding here, it is so important to have some concept of the kingdom of God, because I believe when you un unfold the story here in Scripture, it is about a kingdom. It is about a king developing his people, developing his place, but also bringing his purposes into existence. So when you think about the story of Scripture, when you think about God's word, what's happening here, one of the most helpful grids that you can use to understand what's happening here is this theme of kingdom, specifically a people a place, and a purpose. And as that kingdom story unfolds through Genesis all the way to Revelation, we watch how that kingdom transforms and molds and, and, and has this metamorphosis and has different phases. And what we're seeing here today is we're going to look at the place for God's people with God's purpose in his kingdom. So I want to begin here with the word of prayer and then draw your attention to scripture this morning. Father, we're so thankful that we can hear from you we're so thankful that you love us and that you are a God who's given us a way to know you, a way to interact with you, a way to understand who you are and what you want from us. And so I pray this morning as we look into the kingdom of God, specifically in the place of that kingdom, Lord, we would be encouraged, we'd be drawn closer to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our country has uh, a fascination with real estate you think about it, like we're any, anywhere from fascinated by real estate, maybe even invested seriously into it. Maybe even some of us have a little bit of our identity bound uh, to real estate as well. I think about right now, uh, you know, HGTV. I, I remember probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago when Megan and I first got married, we would, we would sit down probably once or twice a week and enjoy the show House Hunters. Any, any House Hunters fans in here? And this goes way back. I mean, I remember they used to have this uh, woman, Leanne Wong, who was like the host of the show, and like, you know, just the sweet sound of her voice made us think about real estate, and there was this almost fascination watching these people engage in, in, their, in their house uh, search. But now if you think about HGTV, you think about who? Chip and, <laughs> Chip and that's all right, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And if you think about like what they've done for not just the HGTV channel, but for real estate in general, I mean, our country is fascinated by Magnolia Homes, Waco, Texas, because we have found just like this either curiosity to, to even part of our identity with real estate. You know, housing, our house can be maybe even a status symbol. 
you know, you think about it, uh, you know, we, we look at that, that structure and, and whether it's a condo or uh, a single family home, maybe we're renting or buying, maybe we, we love it because of, of a particular location or you know, because we have land or convenience. Our home is so much more than a structure, right? Fair? Fair to say that? And when we think about this concept, like this, this place, this real estate, like, why do we feel this way? Like, you know, in, it, it's not like someone has to tell us to feel a certain way about home, right? Most often, when we see a, that place that we live in, it, it produces some amount or some depth of emotion in us. Why do we even say there's no place like home? Where does all of this fascination, curiosity, even identity come from? I really think when you explore the message of Scripture, the story of Scripture, God has designed it in us, intrinsically in us, to long for a home. Like, I think there's no coincidence that within us is this strong desire for a place of rest, security, and even that seeing that place is a part of who we are. And I think what's truly unfortunate is that ever since the Garden of Eden, we as people have been longing. There has been a homesickness in all of us because we have not seen the fulfillment of God's promises for an eternal place for his people. So the more we can understand what God intends to do through a place for his people, not only will it give us a greater appreciation for God, but I think will also ultimately give us a greater clarity on the purposes of God in our life. Specifically today, here from Scripture, we're going to witness three ways how God's place for his people demonstrates the purposes of his kingdom. So three ways, three, I think, simple ways God's place for his people demonstrates the purposes of his kingdom. And we see, first of all, this morning that God's place for his people conditions their purposes. God's place for his people, number one, conditions their purposes. You see, throughout the story of Scripture, God provides his people with instructions to fulfill their earthly purposes in the place that God has put him. Think about it. God creates rules or sets expectations at different junctures for the good of his people along with his glory. And these rules and expectations that God sets have a significant influence and really they determine the purposes of his people. Now, before I jump into this any further, I don't want you to misinterpret what I mean by that God creates rules for the places he sets. And I don't want you to think ill of him or ungraciously about him. Because often what we find is the rules or expectations that God sets in these places are not a means of like punishment, but actually a means of love. And let, let me illustrate. Um, in our home, uh, we have, um, and I, I'm not trying to embarrass anyone in our home, but we'll have from time to time uh, a little, little, little bit of a dance party with our kids. And I won't go into any details to look embarrassing, but uh, this, this follow me here. My son, Nolan, anytime we have a dance party in the home, he always takes it to another level. So it usually starts off with Megan and I on the couch. We'll put some music on and, and, and tell the kids to have a dance off. And, you know, it, it's, it's usually pretty cute to start. But no one always goes, like, to that next level. 
level where it's like, all right, Nolan, calm down. And usually what happens, or inevitably, he ends up not just on the, the couch cushions, but on the very top of the couch. And he's dancing, and he's jumping, and he's usually getting hurt. So we have made a rule that when it comes to the dance-off between the children, that you're not allowed to get on the couch and jump off it. Now, is that a means of punishment for Nolan? In his eyes, maybe. In our eyes, no, right? It's a means of what? Of love, of safety. We understand that in that place, it is not safe for Nolan to get on top of the couch and jump off. And even though it may seem like a good idea to him, we as his parents understand the loving thing to do for his benefit, for his care, is to provide a rule in that place that conditions, that determines, that influences his purposes and action. We're going to see three examples here from Scripture that I believe demonstrate this, in that God sets his people in a particular place. He gives them rules or expectations that conditions their purposes. And what I want us to see from this is that God, number one, always provides a place for his people, but then number two, has expectations or even greater purposes for his people in that place. Let's follow along here to understand how that happens. Because we see the first example of this, and, and probably to no surprise to you, the first example of this taking place in the Garden of Eden here in Genesis 2. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And this is one, of, I just want to take, I was talking with a couple of the pastors this week. These, these um, th- this screen behind me, unfortunately, not, not so great in this very moment, usually serves as a great tool and resource for, uh, for our gatherings. I do want to encourage you, make sure you bring God's Word, whether you have it uh, on, on your tablet or your phone, uh, hard copy. If you need a copy of Scripture, we have those provided as well for you. But this is such a valuable resource that we want to encourage you to make a part of not just your Sunday experiences, but of your everyday life as well. But in Genesis chapter 2, we find God demonstrating to us that His place for his people conditions their purpose. Specifically, if you look in Genesis 2, in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to notice, to work it and to keep it. So he's given him here a purpose and responsibility. And it says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall surely die. So unfortunately here, we we see something that we find out that has a a very negative result in that God's people don't obey uh, the the purposes that God established here. But what you notice here from a a 30,000-foot view is that God sets his people in a place, and he gives them very specific purposes. He provides for them a place to live out his purposes. We find here the purposes are to work and keep the garden, but also some of the expectations are to eat of every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God understands the good of his people will result from this, working and keeping the, working and keeping the garden, but then also not eating of that particular tree. We also see a second example in Exodus 23, and I invite you to turn there as well, in Exodus 23, when God directs his people towards what is known as the promised land. In Exodus chapter 23, God tells Moses, 
first of all, what this land, the boundaries of this land will consist of, and then, even further, what he wants them to do in that land. And, and we shouldn't be surprised by this, because this is what God does. He gives his people a place, and that place conditions their purposes. He says here in Exodus chapter 23, he says, And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. And notice what he says here in verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land. And here's why. Lest they make you what? Sin against me. Notice how he gets very intimate and personal with, with, with Moses and, and the nation of Israel. He says, for if you serve their gods... It will what? Surely be a snare to you. God is providing for his people. He's provided for them the Garden of Eden. Now he's providing them a very distinct land called the Promised Land. And in that place, he gives them rules that conditions their purposes. God understands that if the nation of Israel makes covenant with these other nations, if they decide to serve their gods... Not only are they breaking the command that God set, but notice what God says. It's going to be bad for you. It's going to be a snare for you. Just like when I tell Nolan, Nolan, you cannot get on the couch. If you jump off, you could very easily hurt yourself. God is saying, the place I have set for you, here's how I want you to live in that place. And if you don't live with the rules I've set, there's going to be problems. And this is what I think is even you know, more pertinent to us. The third example is what we find here even in our present world. I'd invite you to turn all the way to the New Testament to 1 John chapter 2. Because here in 1 John chapter 2, we find God giving his church specific instruction for the present world that we live in. I think because um, sometimes when we look around us in our present world, we, we see a lot of pain and hurt. We see, we see some of the, 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 the mess that's created by our government, foreign governments, just even circumstantially in our own, you know, small spaces that we live in, it's, it's easy to feel just disappointment and frustration. I think sometimes we can forget that this world that we, we live in is a gift from God. It is a good place. And God has allowed us to have this place to fulfill his purposes, but God does give specific instructions amongst many that we find, but we're focusing here on 1 John 2, and it says in verse 15, to do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, what is he speaking of here? He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, this is how he thankfully gives us some really clear, specific um, you know, guidelines here. This is what he's speaking of when he's talking about all that's in the world. He says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says, these things are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But notice, he says, but whoever does the will of God has what promise? That he will abide forever. So even in our present context, God has provided a place for his people. But once again, we see specific instructions 
that God gives that conditions their purposes. You see, because the kingdom of God, and this is just to zoom out for a minute, includes a people, includes a place, but ultimately, and I think most importantly, has an eternal purpose. So what we're going to find, whether we're talking about the people of the kingdom or the place of the kingdom, you cannot disconnect the purpose from both of them. Does that make sense? So here in the places that we've seen, whether it's the Garden of Eden, the Promised Land, or even in this present world, God's, God's place conditions, conditions the, per, the, excuse me, the purposes for his people. Secondly here, we see that God's place for his people, the place that he'll provide, ultimately consummates his promises. Now, probably the only time or place that we use the word consummate, and I'm not trying to be crude, is with marriage in mind, when we talk about the husband and wife consummating their marriage. Consummation means to complete in every detail. So let me, let me describe how I think God's place is the consummation of his promises. The eventual and eternal place that God creates for his people is actually God fulfilling all of his promises to them. So when we think about God providing an eternal place for his people, and we think about what God is doing all throughout the story of Scripture, we're finding that God's place for his people, number one, is no accident. But the fulfillment of creating this place for his people to dwell in, whether it's the Garden of Eden, whether it's the Promised Land, whether it's even this present world, or whether it's his kingdom to come, when God fulfills those promises, and ultimately the ultimate promise of this place, this is God completing in every detail his promises to his people. Because when you start to trace the promises of God throughout Scripture, you're going to find that God is always, always suggesting to his people about their future home. Notice, first of all, the promises of God to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, we, 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 we hear from God to Abraham uh, some very dynamic instruction. It says in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 15, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and I will be, excuse me, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So despite this future promise that we see realized later in the book of Exodus, I want to pay particular attention to what God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant, a promise with Abraham, saying this, to your offspring, I give this land. So right away from the very first pages, few pages of scripture, we have God promising a place for his people. God continues this promise to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It says, God tells Moses, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And he says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians. And notice what he tells them. He says, I'm going to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. And I love this description. He says, a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. 
It's this land that God has promised where God's people will see victory over their enemies and where God's people will enjoy the promises, the fulfillment of all his good gifts. But as you trace the story of Scripture, you find out that God's people don't often cooperate with God's purposes. However, God still commits himself to his people, and we learn also this in the promises that God makes to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verse 8, he says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture and from following sheep, that, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. Then he says in verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. He says in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down, David, with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And notice what he tells David. And I will establish his what? His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, why is this significant? Well, we have to understand that God is continuing to fulfill his promises time and time again. You see, God has a place for his people, and that place that God provides conditions their purposes, but also that place that God provides, it consummates his promises. We cannot misunderstand that God has a very specific place for his people to occupy. And if you question that, look what God does. He provides that place. He shows it to Abraham. He shows it to Moses. He shows it to David. And ultimately here, as we're following the story, he shows it to Solomon. He provides a promise to Solomon that says this, that Solomon would rule over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. And I want you to think about this with me for a moment. That specific designation, I'm going to read it again because I want you to hear it. From the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. That designation is the same designation that God told Abraham in Genesis 15 that his offspring would have. Why is that significant? Because what we're seeing here is God fulfilling his promises to his people about this place they would enjoy. Now, what I think is also fascinating about this is that when you read through these promises, it seems like they're going to occupy these places forever, right? He told, he told David in 2 Samuel, you're going to have your, uh, your offspring establish a throne of his kingdom forever. But when we look around today, do we see this kingdom existing? Does this earthly kingdom that once was established where the promises of God look so clearly fulfilled, does that exist right now today? Do we see a kingdom ruling from the nation of Israel in this present context, yes or no? So there's a tension here, right? There's at least to me a tension of, okay, did God's, were God's promises fulfilled or were they unfulfilled? Does God still have more work to do or is his work already done? And this is where I'm going to suggest to you that God has fulfilled his promises, but yet still has promises to be fulfilled. In Hebrews chapter 11, 
I want to invite you to turn there with me. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find this description that I think is so pertinent for not just our discussion here today, but for the Jewish audience it was given to. So when you think about a Jewish audience hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding the story of Scripture, there ought to be at least some sympathy to that people group, especially when you encounter their, their questions or their request to Jesus about the kingdom of God. Because if you follow the story of Scripture, you would expect or at least you know, have some thought that there would be an establishment of God's eternal kingdom on this earth that it so clearly seemed to be happening through these promises to Abraham and to Moses and to David and Solomon. And so when the time of Jesus comes and that kingdom is not existing, they're looking at this one who's their promised Messiah, and what are they expecting from him? They're expecting what? A kingdom. The fulfillment of all these things that seem to be almost already fulfilled, but yet not quite how there ought to be. And so notice what we find here in Hebrews chapter 11, as the unknown author of Hebrews writes to this Jewish, primarily Jewish audience about the fulfillment of God's promises. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 8 through 10, verses that are very near and dear to this church, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise. And this is why he was doing that. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham left his hometown looking for this place that God had promised. But it goes on a few verses later in in, in verse 13. It says, these all, all these people of faith, died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from what? Afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He says, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Remember what I said? We all have this homesickness. Ever since we've been, the first Adam was kicked out of the garden, we're longing for that permanent home. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For notice, he has prepared for them a what? A place. When you think about the purposes of God, it involves people But with that people, it involves a place. And those two cannot be disconnected. Because finally here today, we witness that God's place for his people culminates in permanency. We're all familiar with the phrase, there's no place like home. And if not, you are now. (laughs) Growing up, uh, I I was thinking about this. uh, And and I think many of you had a similar experience, maybe with like, like me. I think I moved... 12 times between when I was born and when I finally like moved out for uh, after college. Um, and I'm thankful my mom, no matter where we live, always made where we lived feel like home. 
However, Megan had the exact opposite experience. She lived in one home <laughs> from the day she came home from the hospital to the day we got married. You know, 19431 Edinburgh Drive, South Bend, Indiana, 46614. I, oddly, I remember it still to this day. Um, that is where she lived. And when we talked about home, it was very interesting. When, when, we, were, when we were dating and talking about our upbringing, her, it wasn't just like, you know, it wasn't just the structure on that property. When she thought about that home, uh, it, it, it drew up in her feelings of security, of safety, of memories of running in the front yard under their big tree that had like brilliant colors in the fall, of, you know, playing games in their backyard and, and witnessing their dad create this like really cool rose garden. And you had this, this beautiful home and she talked about the memories inside she made. And, and I remember when she was talking about this, I had this thought like, you know what? I'm going to get engaged in that home because now it's like I'm going to put the bow on it, this home. Her parents are never going to leave this home, and this is going to be a great place. Now all these memories are there. And we did get engaged there, but a couple years later, her parents sold the home. So there went my uh, brilliant idea. But regardless, you know, here you have this, this home, this, this structure, but yet there is so much safety and security because Megan always knew that's, that's where her parents were. That was like the place of permanence in, in, her, in her mind. When we look at God's place for his people, yes, it conditions their purposes. Yes, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place that consummates his promises. But ultimately, and this is where I find so much encouragement, God's place for his people, it, it culminates in, in permanency. And we see this rooted in a promise that Jesus makes to his disciples. I would invite you to turn to John chapter 14, and we see where Jesus makes this promise to his disciples that, to me, brings so much comfort when we think about place. He says to his disciples in John chapter 14, in verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are what? Many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He says, if there wasn't room in the place that my Father's prepared, I wouldn't have told you about it because you would want a place and maybe there wouldn't be that. But he says, no, 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 it's just the opposite. There's plenty of place. There's plenty of room. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to what he says to them. I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is telling his disciples, in light of the fact that he is going to die and leave them, he says, I've got good news. What I'm doing for you is something that you will appreciate forever because I'm going to prepare a place for you eternally. And good news, I'm going to come back and bring you with me there. He's demonstrating that God's place for his people has eternal significance. And just in case you wondered, are there any vacancies or do I know the way? Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Just in case you were wondering, how do I get to that place? Jesus says, I will take you there. I will show you the way. The place that we're longing for, the place of eternal security, of safety, of fulfillment. Not only has God prepared that for us, Jesus says, let me take you there. 
But we see that this ultimate culmination of God's place is not just merely rooted in a promise. We shouldn't be surprised. It's, it's realized in a kingdom. In Daniel chapter 2, we find this, this prophecy that if you've ever read through Daniel, it's a very, it's a very unique book. But we find this promise, prophecy, excuse me, from Daniel 2, where it says, And in the days of those, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall tread in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to one end, and it shall stand forever. I want to ask you to do something that may feel a little bit awkward, or hopefully it doesn't. But I want to read to you a passage from Revelation 22. But I would love for you just to, if you're comfortable closing your eyes or, or just bowing your heads, because I want you just to picture this. I want you just to picture this place without any distraction. So if you would just, just listen here, maybe close your eyes or bow your heads. Just, I want you to listen to this place that God promises from Daniel chapter 2. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were, from, were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like when you think about this, and you can look up now, when you think about this, this place that God is providing, this, this eternal home, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more suffering. Nothing in that place will be accursed. There'll be no more need for light because the light of God will be sufficient. Like we're talking about God doing exactly what he said he would do. Provide a place for his people. And the final place that God provides for his people is not subject to any threats, to any outside invasions, to anything robbing your security and your safety and your satisfaction because God himself is present. So to conclude this morning, here are just three simple reflections I want to share with you based off this, these truths this morning. We know that, number one, even though we're not in a permanent home, even though we're not in this ultimate place that God provides, even though we're not in the place that we will be forever, we don't lack purpose. 
God has still created a place for us, and in that place there is significant purpose. We have reasons to be here. Even though it's not our home, even though we long for a lasting city, God has created us for this time and for this place to fulfill his purposes. Number two, since we witness God fulfilling his promises throughout history to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to Solomon, we can trust that God will fulfill his promises in the future as well. And to me, like, I'm specifically thinking of this place he's creating, but if God can fulfill his promises in creating all these different places for his people, don't you think God can fulfill his promises to us in a much more individual and intimate sense? Like, we never have grounds to distrust God and what he's doing. And then finally here, the third reflection, despite our present struggles in this current place, and those struggles could be physical. <laughs> I was talking with Greg yesterday, and we were, we were, we were bemoaning over our, our, our bodies and, and like the aches and pains we have. They could be emotional. Maybe, maybe you're here right now, and, and you are just being ravaged by what has happened this past week. There, there have been relationships or actions that have taken place in this week where now you're just, you're feeling either guilt or sorrow or anger or bitterness. Whatever our present struggles in this current place, we can anticipate the promise and the coming of a better place. And in that better place that God has promised here in Revelation 22, there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more night. There'll be no more tears. There'll be nothing in that place that is not good and holy. And this is why, as a response, we should say together, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want that place. I want to be in the presence of God with God's people. And even though I don't lack purpose, even though I don't have grace for the place that God has set me in, when we understand how God's place for his people culminates in permanency, and that permanent place is filled with love and joy and peace forever, there ought to be it within us this longing for God to do what he says he would do. And consequently, when we have that longing, it, it, it shapes what we do from day to day. If our eyes are fixed on that heavenly city and we're longing for what is to come, we understand that we're not going to love this present world. It's fading away. We're going to love the things that last. We're going to love the things that Matthew 6 says that we will store up in heaven where thieves cannot break through and steal and moths won't corrupt. So when we understand this part of God's kingdom, his place, we see that God's place conditions our purposes. We see that God's place ultimately has this consummation of his promises. And the good news for us, God's place culminates in permanency. So we can live our days filled with joy, knowing that God will do exactly what he says he will do, even if in this present moment there's struggle or there's disappointment. If God has fulfilled his promises time and time again, he will fulfill his promises to us, to his people forever. And to that, we say yes and amen.